If you were alive in the 1400s and you were in Europe and you were educated, then you probably believed that the Earth was the center of the cosmos. The way your cosmology works is that the Earth was right in the center and then way out far away from the Earth, there was this, thank you, there was this outer, this outer shell that, that was really far, but it completely surrounded the Earth, another sphere, and the stars were embedded in that outer shell, and it spun around the Earth. And then between that outer shell and the Earth, there was the sun and the moon and the planets. And that was the cosmos in a nutshell, okay? But by the end of the 1600s, that had all changed. We knew by then that the sun was at least the center of our solar system. Earth was just one planet. Stars were much farther away than we thought they were. A paradigm shift had happened in our understanding of the universe. The Copernican Revolution is what we call it. It's named after Nicholas Copernicus, who came up with this heliocentric theory that sort of became the center of this revolution. And today we know that the Earth is a fairly small-sized planet in, you know, that orbits around a, a, a medium-sized sun. It's in a decent-sized galaxy. If you were to travel to uh, all the way across our galaxy, it would take you about 100,000 years traveling at the speed of light. It would take you 13.3 billion years traveling at the speed of light in order to reach the furthest galaxy that we can see. The universe was a nutshell. It was small and familiar. And then this paradigm shift happened, and it became infinitely larger, more amazing than we can possibly know. That's a paradigm shift. Well, in our gospel reading, in the first chapter of John we hear about a paradigm shift, a paradigm shift in creation, a paradigm shift in our identity as human beings. John alerts us that he's going to show us a paradigm shift by using the words of the old paradigm. He starts out with in the beginning. And as the old paradigm walks us through and shows us the creation of mankind, this new paradigm shows us the recreation of man. It says, man are not born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And here's how it describes that new mankind in verse 12. But to all who did receive Jesus, him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God. Now that is a paradigm shift. And the Christian word for that paradigm shift is conversion. A complete change. A conversion from the old creation to the new creation. Conversion from darkness to light, from death to life. And the world is suddenly an infinitely larger, more amazing place than we can possibly know. And in this conversion, we receive a new identity. Children of God, brother and sister to each other. We're going to focus today on how in Christ, we experience a conversion of our identity that makes us brothers and sisters with each other. And I want us to think for a second about what it means that Christ has made us brothers and sisters with each other as a part of converting us, 
that he did that as he saved us. It means that being brothers and sisters is actually a heavenly reality. It's actually a bodily resurrection, fullness of God's goodness arrived on us in this present time. It's not the nutshell anymore. Being brothers and sisters is the infinitely bigger, more amazing place. And if we're honest, we, we, I don't think we really value brotherhood and sisterhood with each other that much. But we should. Men, your new identity in Christ for relating with women is brother. Women, your new identity in Christ for relating with men is sister. The conversion of our identity, it brings with it a lot of little conversions, a lot of little turnings from old things to new things and the way that we relate as men and women. And the Holy Spirit is the one who accomplishes all of those turnings. I want us to look a little bit deeper at what it means to be men and women in relationship as brother and sister today. And I want to explore that by focusing on three different conversions the Holy Spirit accomplishes in us, three different turnings that are a part of becoming brothers and sisters. And here's what they are. I'll name them right here as we start. The first one is we turn from dishonoring the other to honoring the other. The second is We turn from telling lies with our bodies to telling the truth with our bodies. And the third is we turn from relational poverty to relational riches. So let's look at the first one. We turn from dishonoring the other to honoring the other. Look with me at Romans 12. We're going to jump straight to verse 10. Paul gives this exhortation. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You could translate the first half of of that verse actually as, let the type of affection you have for one another be sibling love, be brotherly and sisterly love. And then to show us a glimpse of what that love looks like, he adds the second part of the verse, which says, outdo one another in showing honor. And by the way, little sidebar here, Jesus is clear in his teaching that we are supposed to show love even to our enemies, right? So we're supposed to show love to everyone is the, is the picture here. And so even if they're not a sister in Christ, brothers, your identity is still brother. So you love. And even if they're not a brother in Christ, sister, your identity is still sister. So you love. And what brotherly and sisterly love looks like is the honoring of the other as our sister and brother, even outdoing one another and showing honor. But unfortunately, all around us, we see that when it comes to male-female relationships, our culture absolutely does not live up to this standard. Patterns of dishonoring and oppressing the other are pervasive and ubiquitous in our culture, and it's not just outside the church. I think we know that. If you haven't encountered it yet, you will. It's not always overt. The flagrant assaults that were brought to light in the Me Too movement, actually, they have their roots often in a much quieter, less noticed type of dishonor. Brothers, have you ever had something like this happen to you in the workplace? A male coworker comes up to you and he says, hey, how would you rank the women that we work with? 
and he means sexually. Does that scenario kind of ring a bell, something like that even happen? That's the culture of dishonor pulling at you, saying, come be a part of this. It's fine. It's totally normal. This is not a big deal, sexualizing, objectifying women. That's the seed of flagrant assault right there. Or sisters, here's something that I saw online the other day. A sister in Christ shared a, a meme that showed a celebrity taking a conversation in a pointedly misogynistic direction. And this sister in Christ captioned this meme that she shared, men are trash. Does that sentiment ring a bell? And please hear me. The pain and the harm of sexual assault are real. It's not even far from us. It's here in this room with us. And it's actually very right to speak out against it. It's right to bring those things to light. That's absolutely right. But the culture of dishonor actually pulls us in a different direction from that. The culture of dishonor says, say that men are trash. Say they're all worthless. Say it in your head right now. Say it to your friends. Say it on social media. Restore the balance by speaking dishonor upon them. The culture of dishonor actually pulls us to outdo each other in showing dishonor. But brothers and sisters, we have been converted from dishonoring the other to honoring the other. We are not just men and women. We are brothers and sisters. So hold fast to this identity. This is your birthright. This is your gift in baptism. Apart from God, you wouldn't be brothers and sisters, but now you are. Assert that identity when you're faced with temptation. Brothers, when the culture of dishonor pulls at you to dishonor women, it pulls at you to normalize the dishonoring of women by your complicit silence. Speak words of honor out loud in that situation. And when it pulls at your heart to dishonor women in your heart, return to your identity in Christ and honor them in your heart. You can because God, the Holy Spirit, has made and is making you a brother. Sisters, when the culture of dishonor pulls at you to dishonor men, pulls at you to confuse dishonor with justice, speak words of honor instead. You can, because God the Holy Spirit has made and is making you a sister. And the identity of brother and sister has the power to overturn oppression, to replace dishonor with honor. That's our first turning. Our second turning we're going to look at is we turn from telling lies with our bodies to telling the truth with them. And if you have your Bibles, I went through lots of different scripture passages, uh, and I landed on one that didn't end up in the bulletin. If you have your Bibles and you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we'll be in there for just a little bit in this section. Uh, if you don't have it, don't worry. I'm going to read it out loud. What do I mean when I say telling lies with our bodies and telling the truth with our bodies. I mean, it sounds a little theatrical, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like some performance art that you heard about on NPR. Um, and that's not, that's not totally wrong. Actually, there's sort of something theatrical about it because our bodies are hardwired to perform truth in a way that we have difficulty suppressing, even if we want to. Have you ever seen someone playing poker 
and trying to bluff for the very first time. This, is a, this happens at college, at Christian colleges. People never played poker. <laughs> and they're, they're, they're trying so hard to lie, and their body's just ratting them out with the truth all the time. The corner of their, corner of their lip is like smiling a little bit. Their arm's too rigid. That's just a card game. When it comes to sexuality, the truth isn't just written in our facial expressions. The truth is written into the very shape of our bodies from the very beginning of creation. Man and woman in the garden. The man and woman were naked and they were not ashamed and they will become one flesh. The truth of our sexuality was evident. And please don't think that I'm being crude here. The asymmetry of the male and female body speaks a truth. Men and women are meant to be gifts to each other. And when a male and a female body perform this truth, then their bodies say, I give my whole self in love to only you for life. It's an absolute gift. In sex, male and female bodies speak the truth of covenantal, marital love. And that's why sex is designed for marriage. Because the, we're designed for the body to speak a truth which the whole person lives out. But when we engage in sexual relationships outside of marriage, outside of that covenant, we actually end up telling a lie with our bodies. Our bodies continue to speak about the covenant marriage of love, the, the covenant marriage love, but our lives say the opposite. And it creates a split in our personhood, usually between our minds, which we end up calling ourselves, and our bodies, which become devalued in this process. They become less than human. And that's why Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, he says sexual immorality is actually a sin against one's own body. It's because they had this same exact problem in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 6, I'm going to look at verse 15 here. He writes, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? He's saying your bodies are so valuable. And he goes on, Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? And for us, that can refer to any kind of sex outside of marriage here. He says, Never, verse 16, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her. For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. See, he points out here again that the body of the lang- that the language of the body speaks the truth of marriage. He uses that, that marriage language from Genesis. Verse 18, he goes on, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. He said, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the place, the place on earth where people can come and meet God. The body's not a meaningless animal. It's the honored vessel of God And it speaks truth loudly. But many of us have told lies with our bodies. And many of us have been lied to in our bodies. 
I don't bring this teaching forward to shame us. Not at all. Because for one thing, God gives grace to forgive completely. Grace to pull us out of this culture of telling lies with our bodies. To actually knit us back together as whole persons. Again, his grace is so huge. So I don't bring this teaching today to shame us. I I bring it because we need to name some lies that are in our culture so that we can hear the truth again. And one lie, brother and sisters, is the hookup culture. The hookup culture is a lie. The hookup culture says that far from me being a gift that I give entirely and absolutely to someone else, actually, bodies are sort of like objects that I can use for my own pleasure with none of the strings of the whole person attached. In fact, other people can be reduced, objectified, quantified by how much pleasure I can obtain from their body. So we can rate other people and we can swipe them left and right. Is it any doubt why our culture struggles so much with dishonor and oppression. Brothers and sisters, another lie that we tell of our bodies, sex outside of marriage, within a dating relationship, even if it's monogamous, is a lie that we tell with our bodies. Our bodies say, I give my whole self in love only to you for life. They speak of an absolute gift. And the covenant of marriage is the objective reality outside of us that corresponds to that. But without marriage, we have our subjective realities. We have my intentions. We have my emotions to try to justify this absolute language of our bodies. Without that objective covenant reality of marriage, we're still holding back that gift We haven't given ourselves fully and absolutely yet. And so our bodies are lying. Now, these aren't the only ways that we tell lies with our bodies. But I think that these are the ways that we as brothers and sisters are most tempted to tell lies with our bodies as we relate to each other. But thankfully, we have been converted from telling lies with our bodies to telling the truth with them. The truth that men and women are created to be gifts to each other. And when that's two individuals in a fully embodied way, that looks like marriage. But it's also true that we're gifts to each other in a much broader way. Men and women in plurality are gifts to each other in friendship. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But in between these two points, in between marriage and godly friendship... A lot of you here are, spa- are faced with a special challenge to tell the truth in your body as you seek out or wait for a partner in marriage. And that is a complicated challenge. It's a very complicated challenge. It's complicated because the capacity that our bodies have, this capacity to speak truth, is a powerful gift that has to be stewarded carefully. Our sexuality is a powerful gift. 
and trying to tell the truth with your bodies as men and women who seek each other out for relationships that lead to marriage can be really complicated. Sisters, I've heard some of you tell about how you feel powerless. Many of you, you honestly feel much better if the guy will initiate. But that puts you in a situation where you don't have any control over who's going to initiate, when he's going to initiate, whether he even will initiate. It's a double-edged sword because there are some of these initiations that you really wish would happen, and there are some of these initiations that you wish would stop. Brothers, I don't know, have you heard this? Are you listening? Put your own, put your own troubles aside for a second and listen to this trouble of your sister's Because many of you brothers actually have the luxury of working through your life issues and of finally getting yourself to where you feel like you're in a good place. And then you're gonna, and then you're you're gonna step out and you're gonna you're gonna initiate. And you probably don't even think of that as like a power that you have, but your sisters do. Your sisters really do. Are you using that power wisely, brothers? Are you listening graciously to the heart of your sisters? And sisters, sometimes this faces you with a challenge that unites you so closely to your oldest, earliest sisters in Christ. It's the challenge to maybe look for a husband outside of the household of faith. It was such a huge temptation in the early church. It can be such a huge temptation still. Please don't do it. Your soul and your body belong to Christ. Your husband's soul and his body should belong to Christ so that everything that you give each other in marriage and receive from each other in marriage belongs to Christ. Sisters, Jesus will help you endure. Brothers, take note of your sister's struggle in this. It is complicated. Brothers, it's complicated for you too because some of you are willing to risk being turned down which is a very good and godly risk so long as you are being attentive to the desires of your sisters in taking that risk. It's a good and godly risk to take. You're willing to risk being turned down, but it's much harder to risk possibly making a total mess of a friendship, isn't it? Because what if you step out, you don't know how it's going to go, you don't even really know what you feel completely, but you're going to initiate and try. And then what if after a few dates... You just feel like it isn't working. And then you feel the responsibility of hurting your sister. You're worried about the social ramifications. Is this friendship that you had with her, is it going to be ruined? Is your friend group maybe going to be divided? Is one of you going to end up having to disconnect entirely, sort of like in an outcast way? Sisters, this is actually something that gives your brothers pause. They actually really think about this. And let me tell you, sister, that as a brother who's been in this very complicated situation, there is nothing more valuable than the graciousness of sisters to heal wounds in this kind of a situation. Sisters, when you see things not work out between a brother and a sister, you actually have the chance to create a space around both of them to heal, around your sisters to feel supported, around your brothers to continue to feel welcomed. Sisters, 
a part of what you can do is help create a space for these messy relationships. And then brothers, step into that space. Step into that space. Initiate. Pursue. That, that really is a godly thing to do as long as you are doing it graciously with a servant heart mindful of the wishes of your sisters. Brothers, that's not the only way we get entangled in complications, though, is it? Sometimes when we're not sure what we want to do, we begin to initiate one-on-one connection. Sometimes it's not even one-on-one isolated. It's in a group, but we begin to initiate one-on-one connections with our sister. We begin to develop some emotional intimacy because we're not sure we like her, but we begin to do that, and we think it's fine. I'm not doing anything big. This is, this is just a little, I'm trying to figure things out. Brothers, when you do that, your body has actually already started to speak a truth. I want you to know that. When you start to build a little emotional intimacy, a little emotional one-on-one connection that you don't really share with other people, your body has started to initiate a truth. That's actually, that's actually great. What you need to do is you need to speak some words to clarify that truth. This doesn't mean you have to be weird about it, dudes. Doesn't, you don't have to make it weird. But you just need to say, hey, I, I don't really know. Like, this is not a big thing. I don't really know how I feel. But, you know, I think actually I'd be kind of interested in going on some dates. That's it. That's all you have to do. Don't, don't, don't start telling a lie with your body and perpetuate it. And finally, the last complication that I think we have in this in-between time is that sometimes the feelings, the emotions between brothers and sisters are going to be mismatched. That's just going to happen in this already, not yet. And this is where the graciousness of your identity in Christ as brothers and sisters needs to shine forth in a way that cannot come from your own strength. It's got to come from the Holy Spirit. He's got to give you the power to outdo one another in showing honor. It's complicated, but we have been converted from telling the truth, from telling lies with our bodies to telling the truth with our bodies. And, and finally, the last turning we're going to talk about here is that we turn from relational poverty to relational riches. Let me read you something that Jesus said. This is from Mark chapter 10, 29 through 30. Jesus said, truly I say to you, There's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive it a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the age to to come eternal life. He said you're going to get all those things. Brothers and sisters, mothers, houses, lands. You're going to get them in this life. What he's saying is he is giving you a larger, bigger family than you have ever had before. Some of you feel family impoverished. Some of you feel relational poverty. Some of us feel financial poverty. And in this verse, there's actually a promise For here and now, you have a hundred houses. 
because you have a hundred brothers and sisters who are opening their homes to you. What a promise, but what a call to the church. Church family, are we this sort of family? Are we? We can be because of our conversion. That's the source of it. We can be. That's a challenge for all of us. But I really want to bring the focus in on how this affects our brother-sister relationships. Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, we are impoverished without the other. We need the other gender's fellowship and friendship and company in a familial way. We're missing that on our own. And I don't mean to say that there's no place for men's groups or women's groups. In fact, it's probably really wise to have those. It's probably really wise that your few closest friends are actually of your own gender. That's, that's, that's wisdom. But if the totality of our friendships is only within our own gender, then we really are relationally impoverished. And I'm not sure, but I, I tend to think women actually get this a little better than men. Men about whom God said it's not good for him to be alone actually sometimes struggle to get this. We sometimes don't value the, voices, the voice of our sisters in our lives. We really should because brothers, sisters, we are asymmetrical in our gender. We are making up something that is lacking in the other. But we have been converted from relational poverty to relational riches as brothers and sisters. So today I actually want to invite you into something to live out this asymmetrical, gendered reality where we acknowledge our poverty and we also acknowledge how God has provided for us in the gift of the other gender. I want to invite you to re-engage your imagination about what it means to be brother-sister, masculine and feminine, in a way that enriches and honors the other in friendship. And I really think it's going to require the imagination. Because I think that these categories have started to die in our minds. And our attempts to recover masculinity and femininity often feel thin. We feel stereotyped by it. And we hate stereotypes. We don't want to stereotype others with the women have to do this, men have to do this. So to avoid stereotypes, we just kind of let that category die. We lose it. But what if instead of thinking in stereotypes, we re-engage the imagination and we think in archetypes? Because while stereotypes are rigid and they hem us in, archetypes are pregnant with possibility. They're seeds of potential. Archetypes are literary. You could tell a thousand different story, stories based on the same archetype and all those stories would be true to that archetype. Thinking in archetypes is actually an incredibly biblical, Christian way to think. The word archetype from Greek arche and tupos literally means the first pattern. And Christians have always looked to the story of the first pattern, the story of creation, to understand ourselves as made in the image of God, male and female. Every man, a son of Adam. Every woman daughter of Eve, where stereotypes offer our gender like a measuring stick. Are you masculine enough? Are you feminine enough? Archetypes offer our gender like an inheritance to claim and make our own. 
Let's engage our imaginations and rediscover masculinity and femininity as gifts to each other. So I'll close with one example of this, because that's really, really abstract. I hope, it's, I hope it like makes you want to do it. But here's like a concrete example of how it works. And I want you to hear it not like a hard and fast rule, but like an archetype, a pattern that maybe you can take and run with. Here's how we can engage in these archetypes as brothers, sisters with each other. Sisters, you can create spaces in which brothers and sisters can flourish in relationship with each other. That can be as concrete or as abstract as you like. You can create a culture in which relationships between people are safe, or you can physically open the door to your home. You can put together a playlist. You can enrich your surroundings, whether that is with beauty or good humor or even food. And then you can invite your brothers and sisters into these rich surroundings, create spaces for flourishing relationships. And brothers, here's what you do. Brothers, do unexciting work to make relationships happen in real, embodied ways. So the first thing you actually have to do is engage and show up. But you don't just show up. Run the errands. Email ahead and see if they need anything. Carry tables. Split firewood. (laughs) Serve. In my wedding party, I had five groomsmen and one grooms-woman a dear friend of mine named Jen Ranter. And uh, now she's married. Her name is Jen Hook. And Jen was like the glue of our friendship. She was constantly throwing parties. She was putting together the holiday dinner for friends. Um, We were always at her house around the fire pit. And something that I can remember happening quite a lot at her parties is that she would go into the fridge. She'd pull out a jar, maybe a jar of pickles. She'd give the jar one try. And if it was going to be a problem, she'd just go, Rains! She'd hand me the jar of pickles. Now, something that you need to know about Jen is that Jen was a college athlete, okay? I was like a college mathlete, okay? (laughs) There is no jar of pickles that I can open that Jen cannot open. That's just a fact. But she tried that jar, and she knew it was going to take her a minute, and she knew that she had other things to do. So she handed it to me, and I had some unexciting work to do. And that is how we improvised on our archetypes in that friendship. I invite you to improvise in the archetypes of masculine and feminine. Jesus has converted us from relational poverty to relational riches, from telling lies with our bodies to telling the truth with them, and from dishonoring the other to honoring the other. He has converted our identity. We are brothers and sisters in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen.